0: Well, we are looking at the subject of kindness today, and I need your help as we get started just a bit. So if you, would, uh, if you would identify that person in your mind's eye who in your life has been the kindest person you've ever known. Comes quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. Wh- who is it? Somebody shout it. Who it is Who's that? Nobody. Has anyone kind in their life? Oh, you poor people. I'll get you coffee after the service in the back there. Who, who, who would you say? Grandmother comes up a lot. What about grandfather? <laughs> grandfather? Mother comes up a lot. Yeah, yeah, okay. And and do you notice that when you, when you identify that person, you smile, don't you? Yeah, that's just the way it works. All right, turn it around and identify that person who to you is the most unkind person you have ever met in your life. And that person comes to quickly too, isn't it? Yeah, and in place of the smile, you get... A frown because we have both those kinds of people in our lives we have those who have been kind to us and are kind to us and we have those who uh, have not been kind to us maybe even today are not kind to us and we have a reaction to that and the fact that those faces come quickly to our minds and we respond so internally so emotively tells me how important the subject of kindness really is doesn't it for you tells it for me as well the Apostle Paul wrote about a number of different characteristics that should typify those who follow after Jesus. And you know the passage. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and verse 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Kindness. You know, it's right in the middle of those nine. It's the one right in the middle. Kindness. It's easy enough to see, likewise, that uh, the word fruit and the word is are both in the singular, aren't they? But then he goes on to name nine plural characteristics as he follows up in the two verses that are there in verses 22 and 23. Now, some say that fruit is used in a composite sense there. And, and, and therefore, you have, you have uh, one cluster with nine grapes. Okay, you've just had your wine tasting, so you know about that one cluster with nine grapes, one one characteristic, one idea with with nine, so it's used in a composite sense. Some other people say, and I think they're right about this, they say that love is the characteristic fruit of the spirit and then it is shown in nine ways. I think that may be the better way to see it, but whatever you say about that controversy and whichever one you choose, you feel like you're loved when people are kind to you, don't you? Yeah. Somebody's kind to me, I feel like, boy, they really, they really care about me. Maybe love is a little bit too far down the road in terms of definitions, but, but love and kindness have a real relationship to each other. But I can think of times when kindness is not feeling like kindness. And you could probably think of things too, and let me just give you one that I was thinking about the other day. I go to the doctor and she says, you have cancer. She says... Uh, I'm going to put you on a table, and I'm going to take a sharp instrument, and I'm going to cut that thing out, and it's going to be hurt you, but it's going to be good for you. Is that kindness? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting how you can change that equation very quickly by changing a couple of words. Change the word sharp to dull. <laughs> Hold everything. Is that kindness? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, change another word here's another one that you can change change you to me this is the best thing for me as the surgeon is that kindness i don't think so i don't think so 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 it gets confusing in terms of determining what looks like kindness with your teenager who has red eyes and you're thinking there's a funny smell about her and I'm wondering what's going on. And trying to be kind to that teenager may be different than being kind to your spouse who was late for dinner, okay? But both of those demand some sense of kindness, don't they? But measuring it out, boy, it becomes very confusing. And I I had an incident the other day that I didn't do well with, but I I had the incident, so I'll tell you about it. I volunteer once a month on the second Thursday of the month to speak at a chapel and uh, I love doing it because the people who are there are so responsive and so interactive. And, uh, and, and so I like to go and, and do that. Well, I went one time during the summer and I got there at 6.45 as I was supposed to get there. And the service is supposed to start at, at 7 and we sing some and we do some other things. And then I preach for, uh, I don't know, half an hour or something like that. And uh, I, I love doing that. So it was no problem getting up and I don't like to get up that early. I don't mind getting up that early, but I don't like to get going that early but I got going that early, and I show up there, and here's this other guy up there. i thinking, what? what? I didn't tell you that the coordinator for the volunteers is not a good communicator. See, you know what happened. I don't know what happened to him, but he figured I wasn't going to be that that morning, so he got a substitute. So I talked to the guy afterwards, and he said, yeah, he called me and said, I need a sub on this uh, this Thursday, so would you come in? And he said, so I came in, and I said, oh, that's fine, no problem. Everybody makes mistakes. If people counted my mistakes against me, I'd be in real trouble. So fine, that's no problem. I didn't do anything about that, except that uh, each month, as I was getting ready to go up there, in the beginning of that week, now I send a text, and I say, looking forward to being there on Thursday morning. (laughs) (laughs) So if he's not going to communicate, I figure I will. So October comes. I I was there in September. I wasn't in August. I was on vacation, but but I sent a text in October. Said I'll be there, and uh, I get there at 6:45 in the morning, and I go in. (laughs) Nobody's there this time. The other time it was another guy speaking. Now there's nobody there, except a couple of homeless guys who have been there overnight, and the room is empty, empty. So I go up to them and I say, I what's going on? They say, well, I don't know. We just slept here. We're going out to get breakfast. We're going downstairs to get breakfast, and then we're going out for the day and and do our thing. I said, oh, really? So I go back to the desk in the back, and I said, is there chapel this morning? This is Thursday morning. I'm supposed to be here for 7 o'clock chapel. And and I say, is there chapel this morning? He says, yeah, it starts at 7.30. I said, really? And the guy at the desk said, yeah, I wish he'd send out a memo on that. And I said, oh, I do too. (laughs) So like a mature Christian man I go back to my chair and I get my phone out to send a text and then I erase the text and then I write another text and I erase the text I'm not thinking very Christianly at this point so I'm faced with this question what does kindness look like with this guy For me, I concluded that it is that I sit down with him face to face and I talk about what happened and what I can do to help him uh, not do that again or whatever I've got to do. I haven't done it yet. I'm going again another couple of weeks, and I'll, I'll try to carry that out if he's in the place. But that's not easy. What does kindness look like? Well, thinking about it for this morning, I came up with a definition that helps me. I don't know if it will help you or not, but here's a definition. Kindness is choosing to do the greatest good for others in the best way I can do it. Kindness is choosing, my choice, to do the greatest good. That's the what I'm going to do. The what for others in the best way. That's the how I can do it. So I've got to have those two together. If I only have one, and I help them see the truth, but I don't help them in a way that they can see it, that doesn't help. If I don't give them the truth, then then it doesn't matter whether I was... I was helpful to. Them. I'm not helpful to them because I haven't combined the truth with it. In fact, what I got to thinking about as I thought about that is the whole picture of grace and truth. And I couldn't help but think of the one who was the kindest man who ever lived, and that was Jesus. And something that the Gospel of John says about him in John chapter one, verse fourteen. Here it is: The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what? full of grace and truth. And I began to realize that if I can get the right distribution of grace and truth into every relationship and every, every detail of my contact with people, and I get them in the right balance because they will not always be the same, like the teenager with the red eyes and the husband who came, or the wife who came home late for dinner, those are two different and take different distribution of truth and grace, I might end up with kindness in the midst of the way I treat people. So let's plug those into our definition kindness is choosing to do the greatest good for others. That's the truth. That's bringing the truth to the circumstances. In the best way I can do it, that's the grace. And I began to think about that. I thought, oh man, I bet I can find that in the way Jesus relates to people in the New Testament. And you're right, I found it. So what I'd like to have us do is look at one particular uh, snapshot of Jesus' life dealing with a man, and it's recorded in John chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you want to get them open because This will not be on the screen, but I want to read the first 15 verses of that chapter and then go into it a bit to try to figure out this thing of how does kindness work with this grace and truth idea in the midst of the relationship of Jesus with this man. So let me read it to you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there that had been invalid in, and invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no, other, no one to help me into the pool uh, when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in someone else goes down ahead of me then Jesus said to him get up pick up your mat and walk At once the man was cured he picked up his mat and walked the day on which this took place was a Sabbath and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed it is the Sabbath the law forbids you to carry your mat but he replied the man who made me well said to me pick up your mat and walk so they asked him Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Somebody asked Mother Teresa, What's the best way I can follow after Jesus? And she said, well, you go to your Bible and you find the words that are in red and you walk after them. Not bad. Not bad. Not read on the screen, but read in my text here. And I find that there are several places where the words are in red. And I want to trace through them and see what we're seeing in terms of grace and truth. Combining so that we have this picture of kindness in the midst of Jesus relating to this man who is in such desperate circumstances. Verse 6, first time he speaks, do you want to get well? (laughs) Well, really, of course he wants to get well. I mean, that seems like a silly question to ask the man. He's been there all this time. He can't get up in time to get into the water when the water is stirred. Does he want to get well? Come on. Does he want to get well? Strange question. Why would Jesus ask that? Well, it is likely because he wanted to involve the man in his own care. Now, could have been that Jesus would say, okay, up. Didn't involve him at all. Grabbed his hand, pulled him up. He walked again. But that would have been to Jesus' benefit, wouldn't it? What Jesus is concerned is the man's benefit. So what does he do? He pulls him into the act of kindness that Jesus is going to bring into his life in healing him. He pulls him in. He involves him in his own care. My friends, that's grace. That's grace. That's, that's Jesus not thinking about his own schedule and his own calendar and what he has to do and all the things that he has to take care of today. That's, that's Jesus looking down at the man's deepest need, and so he, he pulls him in in a way that's the best for the man. That's grace that's grace and he asked him if he wants to get well now you I know you may be thinking well why doesn't he go to the things that are most important because his physical health is not the thing that's most most important is it isn't his eternal welfare most important so I know he gets to the sinning later and he deals with that but why doesn't he deal with that first because that's the most important thing in this man's life somebody said it the other day people in pain don't have ears did you ever hear, I, got, I heard somebody say that the other day, and I thought, oh my goodness, that's the truth. People in pain don't have ears. So, so they don't hear the words that we want to talk to them about the truth until we somehow help to alleviate the pain that they're in the midst of. And then when the pain is alleviated, as Jesus is going to do here, then they're willing to listen to the truth that he's going to speak about sin. And so he takes care of the physical, and then he takes care of the Eternal. It's <laughs> it amazing? It's amazing. And again I say, how gracious is God? How, how, how utterly gracious the God who knows that eternity is what matters most, who, who knows that, that my sin may have gotten me into the predicament that I'm in now, and my sin will continue to keep me in my predicament instead of going to the sin issue Jesus goes to the most immediate need that I have in my life, and he deals with that so that I can hear him talk about the other things that need to be talked about. How gracious is God? And it gives me some hint of how gracious I need to be with my teenager or with my wife or with my neighbor or with other people in need. I'm so glad that you're collecting Food for men and women who don't have enough food of a quality kind of food, because somehow we have to get a hold of the of the needs that they have and when when we m- begin to meet the needs that they have, whether they are, are physical or psychological or mental or whatever they happen to be, a place to live a, uh, help with an addiction um, help with a, an unplanned pregnancy help with help with uh, the food that's needed help help with a stable housing. Help with friendship then that somehow opens the door so that so that we can get on to the things that yes in a real sense do matter more because they relate specifically to the eternal issues and so you build the bridge of trust and friendship to other people who are in your neighborhood so that the day will come when indeed they will begin to listen to the words that you have to say grace grace is a gift grace is undeserved uh, grace is uh, addressing itself to my need grace is when when uh, you deal with somebody so that they feel like they're somebody that's what grace is even if in in the raw raw facts of the case they don't I don't deserve to be treated with grace but that's what grace is it's when i don't deserve to be created, treated kindly that men and women treat me with grace and so they they lift me up out of the pit that I'm in and I begin to see new things on the horizon that maybe matter eternally, but I couldn't see them before because I was down in this pit and I couldn't see over the edge of the pit. I mean, that's what grace is and that's what Jesus does with this man. That's what he does from the very start of it. Do you want to get well? Second set of... uh, uh, red words come a little bit further down in verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And now, now the man has responded to Jesus by the time you get here. And, and you may not have your Bible open, so you may not be able to see that. But but, but if, if you looked at your Bible, you'd find that the man had said to Jesus, I, I can't get down into the pool quick enough. And what he was referring to was a legend. And, and the legend was uh, from the newer copies of the New Testament that we have. But when, when uh, scholars found older copies of the New Testament, they found that what we have as verse 4 wasn't in there. And, and so they didn't include it in the more modern translations. That's why translation process, one of the reasons why it needs to continue on, because we find new discoveries of manuscripts, and we learn things from archaeology, and so we, we understand what we're translating better. That's exactly what happens here. That wasn't there. You will find it in the, in the footnote, of the NIV and in other Bibles like that. So it's not that it doesn't matter but but it was a legend. And so the man believed the legend and he thought, oh I have to get in the water quickly. But he's lame. He has nobody to help him so he can't get in the water. And that's why I'm not healed. Jesus doesn't even deal with the legend because it's just a legend. But Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue and he deals with his his problem. Straight to the problem. Solves the problem. Still involves the man in the process, because he has something he has to do, he has to get up and he has to carry his mat. Uh, an action which was objected to by the more legalistic people in the first century, because the law didn't say this, but their interpretation of the law and their tradition said, "Oh, you can carry somebody in a bed, but you can't roll up your own mat and walk with it. How's that? <laughs> Here's the guy who's healed. I mean but Jesus goes straight to the problem and he solves it for the man and he involves the man in the process once again. That's that's grace. It's doing what's best for the other person, even when I have other things to do and I could make better use of my time and, and I could get some things checked off my list. No, no, I slow down. I, I deal with the need of this person, uh, my son, my daughter, uh, my grandmom, my, my father, my friend, my neighbor, and, and I stop there long enough so that I can... Take care of that need and somehow connect and build the relationship with that person. That's grace. That's grace. And we need grace. Go on to a third place where you see the red, red uh, words in the text of a Bible like the one I have here. Verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now we finally get to the, to the truth side of the thing, because we've had grace a couple of times here in the relationship that he builds with the man, but now we get to the truth thing, and he, and he talks about stop sinning. That's the truth. Man's been paralyzed for 38 years. <laughs> 38 years. Now, I don't know if he had enough oomph that he could still get in trouble, you know? But he could up here. He's been ill for 38 years. He could think about the things that are really destructive and harmful and take advantage of other people. So that may be what Jesus is thinking about. What you're thinking about, you've got to get that straightened out or else you're going to have continuing problems. Or Jesus may be going back to whatever it was that caused his problems that he has now. You say, no, you you just don't want to go there anymore. The truth. Jesus takes some time to get to the truth, but he gets there. And when he's gotten there, he's already built a relationship with a man who nobody else wanted anything to do with. Let me just tell you, this pool of Bethesda was right next to the sheep gate that led into the temple area where the sheep would be brought in for sacrifice. And so the sheep that were brought to the Bethesda, they would have to be washed and made clean before they were brought into the temple area. You know what that means? That means the sheep were brought into this pool. So the the people who were really clean and tidy and neat, they didn't go near that. They wouldn't go to Bethesda. Jesus does. It must have amazed the man when he found out who he was that he even came into the pool of Bethesda. But he went into the pool of Bethesda because they knew that there were people there with needs. And Jesus was all about coming to meet needs. Needs. And so he goes into the pool of Bethesda and there he finds these people who are laying around hoping to get into the water before the water stops stirring to be the first ones in so that they can, they can be healed. And Jesus touches the man. But he doesn't leave the truth out of the picture. He knows that truth matters. He knows that we need grace and our, our, our physical and mental and psychological needs have to be addressed, but he also knows that there's something going on that reaches far beyond those physical and psychological and mental needs. And and those are the truth issues. And so Jesus brings it back to the truth issue before he quits in his conversation with this man. It's kind of interesting because it says, Jesus found him at the temple. Now that could mean that they bumped into each other, or it could mean that he went looking for the man I tend to think that he went looking for the man. And he went looking for the man because he wasn't satisfied with just taking care of his physical needs. He had to take care of his eternal needs and the consequences of what he did in his life. God's really been speaking to me lately about my neighbors. And uh, I'm I'm pleased to say that I have a wonderful relationship with my neighbors. We live in a a townhouse uh, complex and we live on Robert's Circle, so it's a circle, so it's a contained number of families that live in there. They're mainly older, but there are some are younger families too, and I've, I've been able to find ways so that I can help people in various ways, and I don't need to go into the details of that, so I'm thought of as a really nice man. That's not enough. That, that's not enough. What I'm realizing and what I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with right now is, Okay, how do I get beyond nice man, which means that there's lots of grace flowing between us to the point where there's lots of truth flowing between us based on the bridge that's been built in relationship with them. Because the grace is not enough, the truth has to be there too. No truth, only grace, not enough. No grace, only truth, not enough. Both of them have to be brought back together again. So Jesus has compassion on the man in his very real needs. But Jesus also brings him the truth about his relationship with God and tells him to stop sinning. It's called kindness. And it's this funny combination of grace and truth. And sometimes, you know, you might end up leading with truth. Or you might have more truth than you have grace, and other times it might be more grace and you don't get to as much truth. But somehow, as, as I go to each of the circumstances in my life, if I combine them appropriately for the need at the moment and for the person who's standing before me, then that's what kindness looks like. With my teenager, with my grandkids, with my wife, with my husband, with my cousin, with my neighbor, with anybody I know. Let's go back once more. Look at kindness. Kindness is choosing to do the greatest good for others in the best way I can do it. Would you take a moment before I close in prayer and and would you begin to think about somebody in your life who needs kindness from you? And and, and think to yourself, how am I going to do this? And what am I going to do? And how can I balance those two ideas of truth and grace so that the result will be not just some sloppy kind of emotional thing, which is lots of grace, nor will it be pounding them with the Bible, which is lots of truth, but but it'll be this unique combination of the two for them in their need at the moment. So who's that person, and how are you going to approach it to bring together grace and truth? Let's be quiet before God. Talk to him about that. And then I'll close in prayer. Let's pray together, please. Father God, the Word seems to be easy to understand until we begin to try to apply it uh, as Jesus applied it. We recognize how how needy we are to know how to uh, uh, be kind to people, some who are kind to us, some who are not kind to us, Lord. H- how do I do that with a boss, and how do I do that with employees, and, and and how do I do that with a pastor, and how do I do that with my my loved ones, and... How do I do that, Lord? I've raised teenagers, Lord, and I know how difficult it is to do that. So we are, we are here together, Lord, needing direction and help. And, and we need it not only in a general sense, but we need it for the, for the setting that we're thinking about right now. And that person or those person that people that we're thinking about right now, Lord, would you teach us what that looks like and how to pursue it? We commit ourselves, Lord, to be be kind people. We desperately need your direction and your power to do that. And put the uh, shoe leather to the road and walk in kindness. So guide us, we pray. We will give you the credit for what you do in our lives and through us in the lives of other people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Be up front here if you'd like to talk, think that through a little bit more, be glad to do so. God bless you. Have a great day.